Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. I would like to take the opportunity to introduce our special guest and this should be really really inspiring. Elvi Fechter is freelance is a freelance journalist, columnist and speaker who um, as his bio goes debunks myths through the perspective of individual liberty and free markets and is now a regular comment, columnist for the Daily Friend which uh, you can you can read Eva today on the subject we are talking about. Eva welcome. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Nice to be with you. Great. Eva, you've written about the subject that is obsessing the Institute um, at the moment, and that is the fact that the Democratic Alliance has actually um, adopted policy to do away with race as a proxy for disadvantage. In other words, race it, disadvantage will be dealt with in terms of disadvantage. So, in other words, if you are poor, you will benefit from assistance by the state or others to uplift, to be uplifted, and to and to live an incre- hopefully an increasingly better life. The premise being that race as a, a proxy for disadvantage has been of no benefit to to um, to the poor at all. The thing is that's really fascinating is that generally me, the media has been losing its what I call losing its minds over this issue um, and has gone on the attack, calling the DA all sorts of things. You've looked at this. What have you come up with? Well, I call it DA derangement syndrome. You know, now, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not a Trump supporter, but there is a thing called um, uh, Trump derangement syndrome. Um, yes. which isn't unique to Trump. It was also used with Obama and with, with uh, George W. Bush before him, mm-hmm. which is the, the situation where people so dislike uh, a president or a, a political party that they can't make rational judgments about their policies. You know, They can't objectively look at their policies and, and evaluate them on their own merits. And I think this is what's, what's happening with the DA now, you know, that um, they they – they decide that they're going to go back to sort of their roots, which are non-racial um, in, in origin. And uh, instead of proposing the same sort of BE policies that the, uh, that the ANC is offering and trying to be a sort of ANC light, um, they're going to look at empowerment in a, in, a, in a far broader sense, in a sense that, look, you know, it, it makes no sense really to talk about race as a proxy for, for disadvantage. Um, in an era of, of empowerment billionaires and, and wealthy tenderpreneurs and so on and civil servants on million rand salaries. Um, race is no longer really a proxy for disadvantage. Um, disadvantage is a proxy for disadvantage. So therefore policy should, um, focus on actual disadvantage, uh, you know, current disadvantage rather than some sort of, um, less accurate view that, that either race or historical disadvantage should be a proxy for it. It's very timeless because I've, I've, in the middle of reading uh, James Marburg's book, which was his doctoral thesis, which was uh, which was completed in 2007, called The Jacobins of Africa, and he refers to mm-hmm. the Bill of Rights, um, promoting in Section Nine, promoting the achievement of equality through measures designed to protect or advance persons 
or categories of persons disadvantaged by unfair discrimination. And the point he makes is adds to the point you've made, and that is the fact that disadvantage for categories of persons, in other words, black persons or uh, African persons, means that those very um, elites can be advantaged um, till the end of time. Um, and it, what's, what's terrifying of that is it's not that startling, but it, it's, it's a comment, it's an observation made in 2007, and we're now in 2020. And we've now had a huge amount of experience that, uh, that shows what a problem that is. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I remember I wrote something, I think it was in 2008, where I said, look, it's time for BEE to sunset because, you know, I don't think that the 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 marginal gains um, of BEE uh, exceed their costs. You know, the, most of the gains had already been achieved, um, and and you know that at the time was also a very controversial view. Um, but you know, it's 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 strange to me the media reaction to this. You know, I mean, I I read and I, I responded. Um, mostly to, to Marianne Merton's um, article in the Daily Maverick where she said that the DA has turned Trumpian. Mm. Um, you know, and she, and she, she suggested that the DA ditched the, you know, um, what, they, what they used to do, which is underscoring the need for redress. Mm. You know, but that's just not true. I mean, that frankly mm. contradicts what's written in their published policy. I mean, there's an entire section on redress, mm. Uh, mm. which says that we need to remedy or correct an unfair and unjust situation and it explicitly says where this unjustness comes from, you know, which is which is racial discrimination uh under apartheid. Mm. Um including, you know, for job reservation, etc. And yeah. we need to rectify these injustices. So there still is an absolute need for redress mm. and an absolute need to face the, the, the history of, of inequality um with which we with which the country mm. is burdened. Um, the DA doesn't deny any of that, so, so I'm, I'm really surprised by the by the sort of reaction that oh no, now the DA has turned racist or something, or they want to go back to apartheid. It makes yeah. no sense to me. Uh, it, 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 what's very worrying is because I, re- I read most of the articles that you've referred to, and the, the one that sort of just struck me from a sort of emotional outburst point of view was the one by Carol Payton in the Business Day. Um, yeah. uh, you, you, you quote her saying the DA is n- n- now a party for some, not all, as new race policy entrenches denialism. Um, I mean, it, 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 one cannot begin to unpack that other than to say that she either didn't read it with sufficient uh, scrutiny or she didn't get beyond the first paragraph. I'm not quite sure what happened there. It, it's really the most, and it, it, it's particularly appalling coming from what is supposed to be South Africa's prime business newspaper, business media offering. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I also find it very strange, you know, and, and um, I mean, there's, there's similar headlines that, that say the same sort of thing, you know. DA misreading of race and inequality to take it back half a century, you know, which was on, on News 24. The Sunday mm-hmm. Times, it says DA's policy deceit, where they say, well, you know, the DA now effectively denies the historical role of race and racism. In the mm. allocation of resources, etc. Um, but that's not true. I mean, it's, it's flatly false. Mm. You know, they explicitly acknowledge the historical role of race and racism. Um, so, for journalists to turn around and, and, and make these statements, I think it's just irresponsible journalism. I mean, it's, it's it's false on the face of it, and they really should be doing better than that. Can have they 
perhaps fallen into what I call, or they've drunk the Kool-Aid, as, I, as, as, as one would say. Um, because come back to something James Myberg referred to again, was a 1995 lecture by uh, Tabo and Becky, which essentially indicated a change of the meaning of the word non-racialism. And really what, they, what the ANC has meant about you know what, non, what, what it's meant non-racialism to be is essentially revolutionary nation, nationalism or black nationalism. It has it, it's completely inverted the meaning, and in essence, the what the the, the media, many of whom are pretty fairly critical of what the ANC has become and what the ANC does, have essentially what they, they've been very successful that, like that. They've completely drunk the Kool Aid and. They react like this because non-racialism means what the ANC says it means. Um, well, are people who should know better sort of been taken in? I think they have. You know, I mean, the ANC absolutely has moved. Um, remember that historically the ANC wasn't a non, necessarily a non-racial party. Um, mm. Initially, they were explicitly racial in the sense that only Africans could be members. Mm. Um, then they opened up to, to multiracial membership. Um, but there were still limitations and there was still sort of separate management of the mm. different, of the different races with the party. Um, it was only in 1985 that they finally committed to an actual non-racial membership and, uh, and non-racial policies. But then when they took over, um, you're right, they sort of slowly started moving towards more black nationalism, uh, you know, which, and, and, and advancement of, of basically almost doing what the apartheid state did for whites. Mm-hmm. Um, now doing for blacks on the basis that this is justice because we need to undo the injustice mm-hmm. of the apartheid state. <coughs> now, of course, that that argument has some moral force. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not it's it's not completely unreasonable. But I think that people have been taken in and and sort of now you know if you read academia and so on um, on on the left, they will argue that non-racialism is racist because you, you know you must be anti-racist. Uh, mm-hmm. In order to solve the racist problems from the past, um, and, that, and that's inherent in things like critical race theory and so on. And, and mm. some of the the journals have, have explicitly appealed to to critical race theory, um, which I think is complete pseudoscience, complete nonsense. Mm. I, th- I think, uh, but, but, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that Sard referred to it as bullshit. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it, it, it goes so far as to say that look, reason and science and and, and uh, evidence and and um, you know empirical evidence and so on, those are sort of Western constructs uh, wielded by white men in order to oppress um, everyone who isn't a white man, um, and and they they then privilege things like anecdotes and personal experience and and um, you know even mysticism and and sort of what they call um, other other forms of knowledge. It's complete nonsense because once you do that, everything becomes subjective um, and there is no knowledge. You know, mm. Everyone's personal knowledge trumps everyone else's knowledge because, well, this is your lived experience, so how can it not be true? You know, it, it becomes completely nonsensical. Well, it's what what you've just said. What it what it strikes me as is that if if your knowledge is the only knowledge, that the one thing you can be certain of is nobody's going to gain more knowledge. Um, it's going to be completely no, confined to, I don't know, the guy next door. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's it, 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 
it, it becomes an almost nihilistic um, view in, in, mm. in that, you know, you can't collaborate on knowledge because, you know, only you know what's true for yourself mm. and nobody else can tell you what's true for yourself. So, you know, there's no point in, <laughs> I don't know, reading, <laughs> reading academic papers because they can't teach you anything because yeah. it's not your lived experience. That is a subject crazy theory. <laughs> But when you read Marianne Merton and, and yeah. you, you read her article about the DA, you know, she says that the DA's view on, on, on non-racialism um, contradicts critical race theory. And she just assumes that critical race theory is the way to look at things these days because that's what academia does. Um, you know, so, so yeah, they've, they've sort of taken or swallowed that, that ideology hook, line and sinker. So, uh, and just just for those that don't know, I mean, essentially, what's bizarre about uh, someone? Who, I mean, Marion Merton generally writes well about the support for critical race theories. Essentially, to put it very plainly, are looking at a theory, a theory that that uh, says that that your your identity is it, you, everything. Everything that defines you is about a single or one or two. As, uh, aspects of you, of who you are, whether you, your color, whether it's your uh, sexuality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in a way, I mean, it, it, I think since most people would consider who they are to be how, what they think and, and, and what they do, that's actually incredibly insulting. Ironically, um, you know, the old eugenicists and the old Nazis and so on would have looked at critical race theory and, and identity politics and said, "Yeah, no, we kind of agree with that," you know. Yeah. We feel that we are, we are superior or we are, we identify ourselves by our Aryan proportions and our Aryan features mm. and our white skin. Mm. Um, so it, 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 it's become a, it's become a racist doctrine in itself. Mm. Um, mm. you know, which is quite ironic considering, considering that it, it views itself as anti-racist, mm. but it really isn't. It defines people based on, their identity and their identity as based on very, very superficial physical features, you know, like, yeah. like the color of your skin and the shape of your nose. I, I think it's absurd. Yeah. It, it, it's, 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 it's mind boggling. And, and what I suppose is terrifying is that, you know, we've always sort of, we tend to have a slightly cynical look, uh, view of the, of academia, you know, closeted away. But what they've been percolating is really uh, quite uh, un unbelievable. Can I just, uh, change to uh, 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 another. Just go back a, a bit on another issue, and look at the extent to which um, you know the process towards uh, BEE, but being based on exactly those criteria, really happened in when the Public Service uh, Act removed the powers of the Public Service Commission in about as early as 1997, um, and it was done and I quote, to remove merit as the main criterion in the appointment of public servants. And now we are living the nightmare where merit is not put at the place of an appointment. So we've got SAA, we've got ESCOM, we've got probably 703 other um, SOEs that have where the color of the skin or the closeness to the governing party has been probably the factors in appointing people to position in crucial positions. Uh, I think that's exactly what happened. You know, it's, it's become a perversion of the original idea of black empowerment. Um, you know, where you wanted to encourage 
yeah, it, it was it was the same as affirmative action. The idea was that if you know if you have two candidates of equal merit, then you mm. should prefer the black candidate simply because they are underrepresented because of historical injustices, yeah. um, and that seems to me a fairly reasonable policy. Um, but when they started removing merit from the equation altogether, mm. um, you know, you get this cadre deployment system where your loyalty to the ANC um, and the color of your skin if essentially determines uh, the the kind of job you can get. Mm-hmm. And yeah, once you remove merit from the equation, you see exactly what you what you said. You know, you see the the the, the, the civil service falls apart. It becomes completely inefficient and ineffective. Um, the the SAEs are falling have fallen apart. You know, um, I remember Eskom when I when I was young, as a young journalist, and, and mm-hmm. I, I covered technology. Um, Eskom was quite highly regarded in the, mm-hmm. the late nineties. Yeah, you know. Um, and, and there were some issues, and uh, I think the, the issues sort of started getting highlighted by 98 or so. That's right, yeah. You know, that they would have to do this, that, and the other in order to avoid problems in the future. Nothing, none of that was ever done, and eventually mm. 20 years later those problems struck. Mm. Um, sorry, 10 years later those problems mm. struck. Uh, you know, the SARS was still very effective in those days. Um, it was held up as a... Um, but yeah, eventually all of that disintegrated and, and largely under the, under the weight of these crony capitalist appointments, mm. you know, these, mm. these, um, cadre deployment appointments. Mm. Um, and that I think is what the DA is again. The DA says, look, you know, we don't care about the color of your skin, but you must be there on merit. Yeah. And I think that's a very valid position to take. Yeah. It certainly is a position, you know, I mean, it's debate, it's debatable. There's a valid debate to be had about all this, but I don't think mm-hmm. the media is having this debate at all. No, no that's, exa- that's, that's exactly the, that, that's exactly the problem. It's, it's, it's the liberal battle for ideas by, through debate being confronted by no debate at all, um, and, and yes. sort of not digging yes. behind the subject. Exactly. Just insulting, insulting people and, and, and writing them off as racists and, and yeah. deluvian and, you know. That's, that doesn't advance any sort of political debate, which really should be what the media should be doing. Yes, yeah. I actually noticed I thought all of this, all of this, uh, Sorry. Hmm? Sorry, go ahead. No, carry on. Uh, no, I was just saying, I, I, it even seems, uh, looking, uh, watching the odd television, that, that, that they don't have debates on, 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 t- on TV anymore. They, they have one-on-one interviews. But they don't have, no, I haven't seen much in the way of political debates. No, there isn't that much, you know. I mean, I remember growing up as a, as a student and I learned my politics during the transition, which was a magnificent time really to, to learn politics as a young man. Um, and I remember, um, you know, uh, uh, Judge, Judge Dennis Davis, you know, hosting these discussions on, yeah. on constitutional questions on TV. And there was a panel of, I don't know, five or six or ten people sitting there, all, you know, people like Frederick Fassel, Slabbert, and, and, and Tony, Le- and, and not, uh, not Tony Leon, um, Leon Lowe, and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, all these people sitting there and, and giving really, um, educated and deep, uh, opinions on where we should go constitutionally and where the negotiations should go. It was fascinating and it was, you, you learn so much out of it. I don't see that on TV these days. Um, no, I- you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very rare thing. Absolutely. Can I ask, Arthur, can I ask you to hang on? Are we going to an ad break? And then there are just a couple of issues I'd like to raise when we come back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. You know, I just wanted to raise something that I, there's almost, 
I don't know if it's an obscene example of of the already of the long-standing elite um, over let's say over benefiting. But I'm looking at the transaction between Patrice Motsepe and Sunlam, in which Sunlam sold a quarter of its third-party um, assets management business to Patrice Motsepe's co- company, uh, African Rainbow Capital, uh, which is I suppose offers offers the skills or the, the the business that they need, but it struck me that you know Patrice Mosepi I think is the fourth wealthiest man in South Africa. Um, surely in this day and age, if he's worth hooking up for, with he's worth hooking up with on his own merits and on his company's own merits. But he's gone in there as the, sort of the BEE partner. So what happens is that the fourth richest man in in South Africa. Adds to his wealth as a as a BEE as a BEE representative, which theoretically should mean it helps poor disadvantaged people, not rich advantaged ones. Yeah, I mean that's one of the problems with BEE. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, that transaction, um, you know, I assume that Sunlam didn't go into it blindly, and, and that that you know Patrice Masepa offered fair value and all of that. I'm going to assume all of that. Um, yeah. But I don't think that some of them ought to be getting credit, BEE credit, yeah. uh, for doing a deal with Patrice Motsepe. Yeah, Patrice exactly. Motsepe is empowered. Is, you know, um, he doesn't need to be empowered. You know, the same was, the same with our president when he was in business before his presidency. You know, um, you do a business with Sora Ramaphosa, that doesn't make you black empowered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really think that ought to be benefit, benefiting people that are presently disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and are struggling to get a look in, uh, you know, because of the background of, of, of discrimination mm-hmm. and the fact mm-hmm. that businesses were prohibited in the townships and, and so on, uh, under apartheid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, on, on that basis, BE often, um, in fact, very often simply doesn't hit the mark. It, it, it only benefits, um, black people who are already empowered mm-hmm. and already well connected. Really well, well educated and so on. No, the, 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 there's something really perverse about that, and it, it's in that in that context that the DAA's policy makes so much sense, and the, the attack on 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 the DA by the media has just been, I don't know, emotional and gratuitous. It, it, it's it's not. There's, it's been met with no depth of response. Uh, it is. I mean, what I find interesting is, is I read um, Jeff Rudin in, mm. in the Daily Maverick. Mm. Um, and, and he wrote an article where he said, don't throw the baby out of the bathwater by dismissing the DA's new non-racial economic justice policy. Um, now, look, he's a left-winger, right? So, mm. so he's, yeah. he's obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's not, uh, his views aren't unclear on this. Um, but he says that it, it ultimately comes down to whether your worldview is individualist or collectivist. Mm. Right? Do you yeah. believe that people as individuals need to be empowered? And helped and, 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 and helped out when they are disadvantaged? Or does it come down to some sort of group, mm. right? Whether that's based on the color of skin or, or whatever, um, th- does the entire group need to be helped? Um, okay. and, and, and that in turn means that it comes down to whether your worldview is capitalist or socialist. Uh, and, and that is yeah. what the DA has chosen. The DA has chosen an explicitly individualist and capitalist basis. Right, from which to challenge the collectivist and socialist policies of the ruling party. 
And, and that I appreciate. I mean, from a political point of view, the fact that they were being accused of becoming some sort of ANC light, you know, just an yeah. ANC that is less corrupt and more efficient. Um, now it actually establishes the DA as a genuine opposition party, not only in name, but in values, principle and policy. And, and if, you know, if I was a journalist, if I am a journalist, yeah. I look at that and I say, well, this is a perfectly reasonable position for the DA to take. Let's, let's then, uh, evaluate its, its positions on their merits. What, just saying, one, oh, you're in one, in fact, just on that point, my concern is given the response, um, and almost cliche, you know, the DA is a party of minorities, forgetting that, of course, two of the minorities that tend to vote for the DA are not white, um, is that the, the DA, you know, they keep saying we, we need an alternative to the ANC, but the media gives the, the, the DA completely inadequate coverage. I mean, by any measure. I mean, if you, if you break through a click store and you burn things, you'll get masses of coverage, even though they've got nothing to offer. But if you're the DA and you've got something to offer and you, and you actually are an opposition party and you, you're the, you're what there is. I mean, it's not, you can't form parties willy nilly. Surely, I mean, the DA is going to have a lot of trouble trying to get the, 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 the uh, attention it needs going into an election. Yeah, and that's, and that's the harm that, that the sort of coverage does. You know, it, it entrenches the establishment view, which is the ANC view, um, of, of how the country should be run. Um, and it doesn't let any sort of opposition parties uh, get a look in. And I mean, you don't see that only with the DA. You see that with a lot of the smaller parties. You know, mm-hmm. they they hardly get any coverage. And when they do get coverage, it's it's often sort of with the tone that, oh, you know, but who really cares? They don't really matter. They they are crackpots on the fringe anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you saw that with the capitalist party. You see that with with COPE and the UDM and those groups. Um, it's a good party. Um, mm-hmm. The, the, the media isn't doing the country any favors by by dismissing those those policy positions and 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 the the arguments that are brought by those opposition parties. Um, you know, this country needs a healthy opposition, and whether that's the DA or some other party, or whether it's DA policy, policies or some other set of policies, you know, that's not for me to say. But yeah, the the, the media should surely evaluate these things uncritically and actually. Um, you know, place them before and explain them to to the public um, as, you know, these are your options in opposition to, to what's going on right now. Because surely they can't be happy with what's going on right now. <laughs> they certainly have expressed their unhappiness. But Eva, I'll have to leave it there. Um, we're coming into the last five minutes. And thank you very much for for a, a, a great a great opportunity to talk about these issues. And I hope to get you back uh, in the not-too-distant future. Do so. Thank you for having me on.